All right, everyone, we're back right now with another episode. I'm online here with Mr. TJ Fleetwood. TJ is a two-time state duck call champion in Oklahoma. TJ, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on, John. I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you being on. And as we were talking before we hit record, again, very excited to have you on the horn and, you know, duck calling and somebody as experienced as you are, I haven't had the opportunity to have on just yet on the podcast. So I've been excited to do this one. I appreciate it, man. I'm like I was telling you, this is going in a great direction for all the right reasons. And I'm, I'm just sitting back and any way I can be supportive. I, I, I'd love to be, you know, there and help you guys out. But I'm I love the direction this is headed in and, and uh, I keep doing what you're doing, man. We greatly appreciate it. And I want to I want to get into how you got started in duck hunting and duck calling. But I think the first thing I'll ask you is, is Oklahoma dry right now or have you got? Well, you know. You break it down, I, I look at it in four different corners, four different cuts. I mean, that's just my preference is northeast. You got northwest and you've got the other southeast, southwest. And I'm in the northeast. I'm around the area, uh, 20 minutes uh, northeast of Tulsa and Claremore. And we hunt a lot around there. We've got a few private spots. My dad and I's group does. And then I've got to get back to hitting public card and hunting Eufaula, Uluga, all those local lakes, you know. And. Uh, just go where the birds are, but really, you know, spring and summer, I couldn't give you an exact um, inch, you know, per month per se on the rain, but our crops and our private stuff right now, corn, millet, you know, our duckweed, that's natural duckweed, it is beautiful. It has been the best I've seen in the last few years being a part of our group that does this, puts in the work for pip lines, drag lines, and I can't wait to see what it does public, but this is a better year in the last two years, I will confirm that. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I know uh, Kansas has been low with water, and, you know, that's one of the big ones we like to hit. Um, but a lot of the growth has been there. So if the water does happen to make it between now and, you know, season kicks off, it's going to be really good. Absolutely. But um, if you just want to take a second and, and tell everybody what your background is, TJ, how you got started, and let us get to know you really quick. Absolutely. i got to give my dad a lot of credit because I would not be a duck hunter today without him. Um, my dad, when I was, I was born – I'm 32s. I was born in the early 90s. And uh, once I got, you know, born, I was a green wing. I was one of the first green wings that inducted in Oklahoma. That's part of Ducks Limited, by the way. And you've heard probably Green League Magazine or the Ducks Limited Magazine. Uh, I haven't opened Ducks Unlimited Magazine in a year or two, but I remember reading the Green Wing magazines. And he was a, a local chapter there in our county around Claremore, with the president, you know, on and off, rotating. And he was big a part of Ducks Unlimited and still supports Conservation Day, absolutely. Um, so I got into it early age, and I was going here and there with him, you know, when he was hunting. I, you know, it, I was just there playing with toys in the back of the duck blind, to be quite honest. I remember some of it. I heard, you know, earplugs in here and 10, 12 gauges going off. I don't forget that. And being a part of his, you know, harvests of, you know, back in the day, it was three geese was a limit. Nowadays, it's eight in Oklahoma. But you know, seeing those five to six ducks, depending on what species or subspecies we bring in. And, you know, and uh, man, uh, I loved it. But when I was about 11 or 12, it kind of shut down. He he lost two friends that got him into duck hunting. And uh, also, I didn't have a lot of interest in it as much as I probably did, um, you know. And, and uh, so we kind of took a break and I was focused on, you know, junior high, middle school, obviously high school sports. And we took a break from from the duck line and when i got out of high school uh, i was you know 18 19 uh we still had stuff in his he's a heat and air contractor 
um, we had stuff in his shop and I, I said, Hey man, we got this jumbo. It's like, Hey, you ever thought about getting back into it? And he said, yeah, somebody just tell me to go <laughs> kind of thing, you know, and we went out first year and he, he rigged up some decoys cause I didn't know nothing about it. I mean, I was a young kid, so I don't barely remember all the X's and O's of it, you know, and, and, uh, he had his calls, the old calls on his lanyard. He got it out and got the stuff going. We gave it a shot. I don't think that first year, I don't think we barely killed anything. We were just out there, did a little scout and a little permission, mostly public. And, and we didn't do it till like the about half part of the back end of the season. But the next year I had moved colleges and got connected with guys. So I was going with my dad. This is about 1920 when I was years of age. And I, uh, you know, I started going with friends. They were teaching me stuff, learning stuff from my dad and picked up my first duck call. And that's kind of my passion more than anything is the duck calling. Um, my passion nowadays is teaching others. And I have a TikTok that I love to help people. And I get, I'm answering direct messages. I don't like it too off the question there, but that's where it all started uh, was when I went to school right outside a Northeastern State University in Talcott, not too far from Claremore Tulsa there. And I picked up my first duck call at the DR-85. And I was on YouTube trying to teach myself and I was making some bad habits. And then I got uh, introduced to a guy over the phone. Someone said, hey, why don't you call this old boy at Rich and Tone named Bush Rich and Back? And I said, let me look him up. I said, oh, yeah, he's a he's he's well known. <laughs> so Butch taught me how to quack, man. He said, uh, I think I was saying like something weird in the call. I picked up on this YouTube video and he said, well, what we, let, let's start off saying a hoot. And I said, oh, OK, let's say a hoot. <laughs> I started learning some good technique finally and learning how to do a simple feed call. And that second season, guys in the blinds started catching on that. He's like, oh, that sounds like a duck, TJ. I'm like, yeah. And I had bought an Echo Timber and an RMT. Um, oh, I think it was a shoot. I don't even have it anymore. It 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 was the off-brand RMT. It was the polycarbonate, which works great. Um, Duckhead. Yeah, it was like a duckhead uh, call. And that's what I started off with. And uh, man, I, uh, from 1920, you know, just, just ate up with it, man. It Sky was the limit. And I was ready to hunt any day I could and going with friends my age, a little older than me, whoever I could find to hunt with publicly. And we got some land, not permission land, some Amish land, actually, third year. And we were ate up with scouting and got our first boat going that wasn't a John boat. A, 17 18 foot boat with can't even remember what size um it was a bass boat kind of motor not a mud motor just a regular basic motor on it i can't remember what horsepower we sold it a few years later after that but we were using it quite a bit and um dad going on the weekends and i'm hunting on christmas break when i was going to school every dang day man i uh, loved it and uh second third year i think 20 yeah 20 i uh, 2012 i uh, got i tried uh, ordered an MVP, didn't know what I was doing on a duck call competition, Main Street, went to the Oklahoma State, come in second to dead last. And uh, I did everything I could, self-taught. Butch just taught me the basics. He didn't teach me anything about competition. I was just recording everybody, trying to mimic what they're doing. And I met a guy at the end of the contest that day by the name of Wayne Betts, another guy by, by the name of Trey Crawford. And ever since then, uh, those next two to three years, um i figured out how to blow fairly decent duck call and if it wasn't those two guys i mean butch got me going on the basics but these guys are two hours from me in rogers arkansas man i was going to see wayne and trey mostly wayne 
every Friday night. I didn't for two years. I went every day, man. I was at the Betts call shop learning from Wayne. Anything he did, I mimicked. And he was my mentor. And uh, the 2013 state contest, I won by two points. Won the darn thing out of 10 to 12 callers. And then the 20, uh, won a two-man that year, and I won the uh, Christian International Waterfowl, beat two or three world champions in that contest. And uh, I got I got the bug on competition calling. So I was like, man, I got a duck hunt, but I'm doing well on competition calling too. And all that hard work with Wayne and Trey. Trey's working my feet call. Wayne's working with me on the top end. And I'll tell you what, Wayne Betts, next to Brad Allen, has the best top eight. Both of them just recently passed. I think Wayne and Trey did in the last two years. But Wayne Betts had one of the best top ends, even at his older age, that I had ever heard on the main street. And uh, I know there's some world champions. He taught them how to blow a top end. And I was luckily able, very grateful to learn that from him while he was on this earth. Um, man, I can't thank him enough. And he got me going on that top end. You could tell it with me up there calling. I promise you just because that was Wayne's teaching. And uh, so I think 2013, after I won the state, went to the Worlds. I finished uh, tied for 18 or 20, something like that. Had a bad note in the second round. And then the 2013 state contest, I won by like 20-something points. Blue had a great contest. Blue in the open, made a high tone, and lost, uh, came in second by just one point. <laughs> Almost, what I meant is I was one point away from first, and I, was, I had a great, great time with it. And then after 2014, I retired from competition calling for the most part. I've done two since then, but started focused on my coaching career. But during that, I was hunting. I was hunting a lot of public land with friends and making new friends and just love the connections. I always focused on and my dad still do. But, um, man, just the camaraderie and the, the connections you make from duck hunting that one guy that I met good friend of mine, Chris Nelson, I met through teaching him how to blow a duck call. We've been one really close friend since, like family. And that was through duck hunting. That's how cool duck hunting is for. That's the things that duck hunting does for all of us. We meet so many people that it's more than just killing birds. It's it's like, man, that's family now. And that's the cool thing about duck hunting, I think, too. But definitely 50-50, love duck calling, but I love duck hunting just as much. And um you know, I never really, when I met Wayne, I never really thought I'd win Worlds or win any contests. I just wanted to get better. And I knew that learning from Wayne would make me a better duck call operator. I got that from John Stevens. You know, he said there's a difference between on one of his recordings when I was listening when I was 20. Uh, there's a difference between a good duck call operator and a good duck caller. And I knew that I needed to learn how to operate a call before I became a good duck caller. And that's through trial and error in the field and where you're hunting and learning from people. And Wayne and Trey did that for me, man, and I can't thank them both enough. And I'm still trying to share my knowledge that I'm, I mean, I mean, there's some nuances that I've learned personally, and there's is, but it's mostly what I've learned from them that I continue to try to share to the up and coming duck hunters and our, you know, this newer generation. And I know Wayne would expect that from me and, and Trey as well, because that's what they, they, that's all they asked is just thank me. When you win a contest, you, you have a, a, a six man limit that you were the lead caller. Just, just call me and, and let me know. That's you, you. Just need to thank me, and I always did for you know while they were on this earth, man. And, um, so yeah, that's my passion, man. And I've been hunting for the most part since then. There's some up and downs with you know career changes. I was a coach, and then I became a nurse. So there was two years in between there, in my twenties, between twenty and thirty-two, and 
that I had to back off on the amount of times I was going, but I'm back at it now being a nurse between, sorry, I got ahead of myself, changed careers from coaching and nursing. And I'm, I've got more time now being a nurse and to hunt. I'm excited this year, last two years, really, to go as much as I can. So, but anyways, I'm long-winded. It's all good, man. No, I enjoy hearing it. And I think, uh, uh, just to unpack a few things there, um, you know, first of all, if, like you said, what duck hunting does for all of us, uh, you know, a lot of times, especially nowadays, and we keep preaching it and there's nothing wrong with being proud of your harvest and taking these pile pictures. And that's definitely a, one example of a successful day hunting. But at the same time, those relationships you're able to build, like you have with Wayne and Trey and and the knowledge they passed down and, and you know, just the thanks that they wanted to call in when you were the lead caller, or when you had a, you know, a competition, the relationships. And that that's one thing about duck hunting, I think that helps gets us all hooked is that, you know, we have the ability to share that camaraderie in the blind or in, in the shop when you're working on the tuning calls, you know. Absolutely. Um, and then the other thing one to, I wanted to kind of go back to, you know, you, you start, you get back into hunting, you get back up with Wayne and he's helping you blow a call at what point kind of in the blind or while you were out there on the water, or maybe it was at the house. Did you kind of think that, all right, I, you know, maybe I can with these guys' help start blowing some competitions. Uh, from the day one, I was in the shop. Well, Wayne heard me blow at state and I can't, I, I was so nervous to talk to him. A guy said, Hey, why don't you go talk to Wayne? He would love to probably help you if you just talk to him. And I said, uh, it was like stuttering, like, my name is DJ. And he said, I know who you are. He's a guy that came in second dead last. I said, Yeah. He said, You don't have any idea what you're doing. I said, Yeah, I don't. He said, I can help you. You come to my shop in the next month. And uh, he gave me a call and I blew a top in without any coaching. And he said, TJ, you got some God given ability that we're going to really work with. I just don't, he said, I don't say that to everybody. And, uh, you know, probably a few months in getting ready for, um, the next state or state. Yeah. 2013 state. He said, TJ, I think you got a good chance to make a third round. If not win the darn thing, but I, you just can't make mistakes. Just blow like you are in the shop. So that, you know, that was nerve wracking, but, uh, we knew, we knew that in the first few months that, I could I could really start winning some contests um, if I blew clean and I blew consistently and um, everything. I had all my ducks in a row, um, you know, when it came to tuning the call and and uh, and getting my mind right for the contest and um, keeping with it. And and then also I went around and blew some regionals, had some top three and top five finishes and some big contests in those few three years that I competed with him. Um, you know, I uh, one second we're we're in the hotel and they're knocking on the door sorry but anyways if you can hear me here so we knew and it was it was like hey you know let's win some competitions and um you know i've got that first competition when i was like man i, I wouldn't mind winning worlds but i i really just want to be in any duck be good enough with sound and know what I'm doing in any duck blind. It didn't matter if it's Jim Ronquist, Trey Crawford, Wayne Betts blind, whoever, people that are respected in duck hunting to say, I know you can call and I you sound like a mallard hen. I want you to join in. That was my goal is to go in and be good enough one day to go in any blind and and be asked to join in, to lead or back up, whatever. And that was my goal. And two years in, I was at Trey. Trey was a guy in Kansas. 
and I was hitting my bottom end. I always had a decent top end, but I was my weakness was my bottom end. And I finally got his praise one day on my bottom end. He looked at me and he said, son, that is a mallard hen. And I about had a tear come down my eye because that's what I wanted to hear. And Trey's three-time world champion, 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 and helped me get a decent feed and mod him in. And, and that's all I wanted to hear is that I knew I was on the right track. So, yeah, very fortunate. And at what point, you know, blowing the competition calls, and like you said, you got into his blind and he, he had the praise on the bottom end. You know, what, do you, what kind of skills did you pick up on the stage or blowing those competitions that translated into the field and kind of vice versa? What did you learn in the field that you think helped you on the stage? Well, the thing is, is that I've heard people say that some people can only blow main street and they can't blow meter live. And there's some truth to that. I mean, I think we practiced more main street starting out, but then we were doing more meat because we started doing some meat contests and um, the, the bottom end, which is your hens when you, when you you do you like your first three hell calls and that teaches you call control and how to get power in the call i've had a TikTok video recently talking about power how to kind of learn the top end but also make that more of a hunting um powered situation or the technique um but the bottom end of the main street is that power and i use that TikTok. it's that's the you just where you're going and you know, the rolling feed and my, my feed on Main Street, I throw some rolls in. I don't really roll in the field, to be honest with you. I do aggressive chatter uh, and I cluck, but I I try to put a lot of realism in my Main Street with just the with basic throw a little, you know, rolling quacks in with it. And, uh, you know, then I do my rolling feed. But in the field, I don't really roll it much. Um, I do a little bit just for fun, but I've had more success from the three note uh, basic feed just. And then maybe do a little bit more chatter when you're hunting the field. Do you got bird? You got to read the birds. If you got food and they're coming in and you know when you're scouting, they've been eating it all day long, throw some aggressive feed. Just kind of. And that's what I would do in my main street. And and uh, there's only a few parts in that main street that has the true bottom realism in it. But main street teaches you call control. That's why they, it gets a bad rap because people are like, that's not realistic. Well, some of it is when you're calling ducks from a distance and you're, you know, whatever you, that comeback situation on days, they're responsive. There's some realism in there, not a lot. Um, but back to the thing, I, I learned how to control a call on the main street. And then we would practice like more realism, lower volume, you know, different cadences in the shop for meat and live duck. Live duck contest is stuff you're really going to use on any given day. You don't have to sound like a five or six different ducks but it's fun because you could you can just sound like different ducks the beauty of learning how to do live duck is let's say you're the only caller and you're blind that can blow a duck call or feels confident enough to blow a duck call if you can sound like six or seven different hens you sound like three or four different people calling right so you've just added in a lot of background music to sound like more ducks and you're like i've had a guy in the blind so i don't need blow my call you sound better than if we had two or three more people on the side of us so i know it sounds kind of like toot my own horn there but it, that's all that hard work is can pay off for you and uh, that's where that all three different contests main street me calling a live duck can come handy for you for for the field 
Yeah. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Like I'm not the world's best duck caller, but more often than not, I'm the only one in the blind calling just because of most of the people I hunt with, they don't, you know, they don't have confidence in the call themselves. Sure. Um, you know, there's still a lot I need to learn, but you know, and, and with that, the question I would ask, do you think it's probably more pertinent for more people in the blind to know how to call or one guy that really knows how to call? I think everybody, if they feel confident enough, they need to join in. I, um, when I first started calling, I had a guy that really discouraged me. Um, and I just took that as motivation. I, I didn't get down about it. It actually kind of pushed me to do that first main street contest. That I didn't know what I was doing because I wanted to go. I, I did that contest just to get experience, but I knew that I could meet people because I knew there was people out there knew what they were talking about. And this guy didn't really know what he's talking about that discouraged me. And I took that as motivation because he, when I was in the blind with him, I had my echo timber polycarbonate. And he said, here's one of these little chatter shakers. You're not good enough to blow a quack yet. And I, actually, I kind of was, but he discouraged me. And so I never want to discourage anybody in the blind. Um, if you don't can't feed, don't feed. But if you can quack, throw some soft quacks in and I'll work with you before the hunt. It's just a confidence thing. Don't ever discourage somebody from calling. I, I don't know if that's very typical, but it's I've seen it happen one time. And especially a youngster getting into it. If he wants to call or she wants to call, say hey just throw some single quacks in and they'll listen to you they'll be like okay you know and that starts to build that confidence right away and then a year from now they're going to be blowing a four four or five no cadence and then they're going to be blowing some strings of feed then they're going to be blowing some fast cadences and it's just the sky's the limit you can't don't discourage somebody if they want to if they want to you know you see what their ability is and just kind of say hey blow some single quacks uh i'll kind of throw my hand down when to quiet down and and get everybody involved. And, uh, you know, I've heard you on a podcast, I think, talk about, uh, you know, the Drake whistle. Um, you know, if a guy doesn't feel comfortable doing quacks, say, hey, you got Drake whistle or here, use mine. I'll show you what to do. Get everybody involved. Um, everybody's a little bit has more uh, skills in one set than the other. I'm not the best. I'm learning how to be a better dog trainer right now, but I'm more of a caller than a dog trainer. But if somebody's everybody has strength and weakness is what I'm saying. And, and if their strength is not the most duck calling, but if they want to be involved, get them involved because anybody can, you can always make your weaknesses, your strengths. Just, you just give it time. And I think, and, and I want you to tell me if, if you think this is a fair assessment, but a lot of my friends, like I said, I end up normally being only one duck calling and I'm not trying to say that's because they can't call, but they feel they can't call and they're too embarrassed to actually get on there and mess up. And, you know, I would never tell them, but they're scared somebody would tell them and, you know, kind of shoot you down like you, you had the guy in your past do. Um, do you think that it, it, it's kind of a of an ego thing? One, the first question I'll ask is, do you think it's kind of an ego thing that people are just scared to to actually sound bad so they don't pick up the call? And two, do you think it's ever too late in, in kind of a, a man, young man, young woman, woman's life to, you know, maybe they're too old to start trying to learn? No. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, you know, ego is all about what you make of it. Um, I have one of my favorite books, but Ryan Holiday's ego is the enemy. Um, if you're looking for a book to read, it's a few years old now. Go through there. He talks about different historic events of, uh, you know, people, uh, historic figures that had egos that it was their downfall. Um, as Bush once told me, he said, um, there's somebody just around the corner that's better than you on a duck call. I always remember that. And it's true. Um, I might be a little bit better on some things than this guy, but there's probably somebody who can blow a better feed 
around the corner than me or better at the hell call than me. Uh, there's always someone better that can do something in that component of duck calling than you. So always stay humble and, and be willing to learn. And whenever you think you know everything, you think you're the best or whatever, that's when you're going to fall really fast to, on your face very soon. Um, I think, um, you know, well, the, there's a lot of people who are just bashful that they've been told they're bad or they just think they're bad. And and uh, and maybe they just don't want to call. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you don't want to duck or goose call, some people, my dad's just a goose caller nowadays. I mean, he's got me. So he told his friend, he's like, heck, I got my son. I don't need duck calls. <laughs> and I'm not the best goose callers. Uh, he leads the goose calling and I chime in on him. So we're a team, man. We've always been a team. He's one of the best shots around. When I'm not shooting well, I know he's helping helping us all out because he can shoot and he can blow a goose call. But we've been working on his duck calling here that in the last year. He's going to start getting in on it a little bit more. Um, but some guys just don't want to call, and that's fine. If I'm not going to force you to call, if you in, in, but if you have any desire to call, I'm going to run with it. I'm going to encourage you. I'm an old coach, so I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to try to get the best out of you in the in the you know least forceful way, and 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 try to get you going so you can enjoy it. And I want you to enjoy it as much as I do, if if you want to. Um, what was your second part of that question? Sorry, it was you know. Because a lot of my friends, I'm I'm the same age as you now, and my friends that, that don't want to call, they're getting up in age too. And you know, one of them, I just is one of the guys I trained his dogs, and we actually went to the hunt test this weekend. That's what delayed us yesterday. And um, you know, he he actually made duck calls throughout high school, and um, you know, with the echo inserts and you know just the wooden barrels, sure. but uh, he never he never really blows a call when we go out. And, and you know, he's another one of those bashful guys. Great guy, just you know, he's one of those guys that. You know, he could probably stand to learn just a little bit, but I think it's one of those things, you know, people get to where a point where they're like anything else. It's a little bit later in life. You know, they're in the 30s. They're they're a little bit hesitant to pick up and learn. And the question was, do you think that that's true? Do you think it's ever a too old to learn kind of thing? No, I just heard I just watched a video of a, a lady that was probably what 80s on TikTok blowing a duck call was inducted in like the Arkansas Hall of Fame of hunting or something. She was blowing a duck call somewhat but in some aspects a lot better than me i was like man i can't get that type of tone i said that sounds ducky so i mean now if you if you have the i'm a, I'm a nurse now so but so if you have the physio physiological capacity you can you know breathe you you can speak you can blow a duck call i truly believe that you just got to have a want to and you just got to be tuned right absolutely you can't just take a read that's, that's been in half and expect to get something out of it you, you've got to have it tuned correctly and it's got to be to have the capability of getting a quack or feed out of it. But you just got to have the one to and some and be able to breathe and talk and we'll make it happen. So, yeah, I, I think some of it's being bashful, intimidated by it. And and that's the biggest reason for people not doing it. And that's OK. And there's some I, I, there's probably some dog trainers or some sharpshooters out there that they're like, man, I'm going to focus on the shooting and. Um, I've got a buddy that's going to call and I'm just going to back everyone up. And that's what my strength is. Uh, and I just don't like the calling. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. And moving into kind of the field and, and taking the call and what you have learned and, and known and can blow a call. When it comes to actual calling ducks in, that field experience is something you mentioned, I think, right before we hit record. And you, you brought it up again as you were talking about your background do you have any tips as far as working birds, you know, cause I always grew up under the assumption and being told by my great uncle, who's actually a South Carolina state duck call champion. He always told me the old wing tips and tail feathers. 
Yeah. Do you think there's still truth in that, or do you have any other tips that can kind of ring true? Absolutely. Um, you gotta, you know, you gotta know your area first. You know, if it's a farm pond, my duck call will be inside my waders. I mean, a lot of times those farm hunts that the birds have been there and they haven't been pressured, calling can be very counterproductive. Um, can make things not go as planned. So that duck, that lander's still going to be there because I can call goose, right? You got to get the goose tension. But when it comes to ducks and it's an old Amish or farm pond um, and they've been hitting it, you've been scouting them, bow knocks, you know, binoculars from distance, you know what time they're coming and the weather's not changing anytime soon. Make sure concealment's ready. Probably don't need a lot of decoys. And you got that duck call put away because you're probably not going to be blowing it and you're going to get ready to basically be shooting fish in a bucket because they're going to be right in your face and you just need to let them finish and everybody get a, in an area where everybody, uh, you know, a frame where everybody can get a shot and knock them down as many as you can cleanly. So it just depends on the area. And then you've got the fields where you're hunting um, peanut fields or whatever it may be, whatever area of Oklahoma you're in and, and they've been feeding on that. That's where you're going to be aggressive. You're going to be hitting that chatter that you throwing in some rolling feed and you're, you know, you're going to get after it and there's a good chance they're going to be responsive. Um, a lot, you know, a lot of time of the year, now, if they're not, then that's just trial and error, but learning as you go, that's the thing. You're going to have a lot more downfall than success. That's the, that's the beauty of it. I think that's where being an old baseball player, being an old, you know, sports guy, athlete, I love the comp the, the 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 competition I should say somewhat, but really the challenge, you know, man. All right, we haven't had a lot of success calling. What do we got to do different? And then you're like, man, hitting them just right there or on the wings. You're talking about wings to tails and tail tips. I mean, or you know, when they're hitting them with aggressive chatter instead of hitting them with a comeback call. That day's working. You know, I don't hit that cadence. Just hit that feed. It's working every time. That's where that black ball goes on, and you're just like all this hard work and this patience paid off, and now we're killing birds within gun range. We're not doing, I'm not a skybuster, so I mean, you got those little birds that circle you 15 times, never get in gun range. You're like I don't know what I'm doing wrong. We check the panel blinds, we check the blind 13 times. We're frustrated, and then the calling light bulb comes on. Oh, that's what we need to be doing, or we need to pull eight decoys or whatever. That's where the the challenge and the fun comes in a lot of times on private public whatever it may be that's where the all that patience hard work paid off so it's, it's just trial and error knowing your area knowing what the weather's doing that cold front comes in that's the first or second day after a cold front those are new birds so i wouldn't really have to uh, you know actually you can call more but sometimes you don't need to call a whole lot it just depends on the on the birds and in the in the area that you're hunting big water small water land it's just trial and error and knowing your area and seeing what works and, and doesn't work you know so that's the fun of it, man. That's the challenge. I think I love the challenge of it. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because I, you know, through all the episodes I've recorded so far and, you know, I've been asked, you know, what's the kind of big appeal for me to keep duck hunting and public land duck hunting, especially. And I got to be honest with you, man, it's just the challenge of everything putting into it. And that comes with calling, understanding, wearing the work birds, you know, how they're responding, where you are in the flyway, what conditions you're hunting but you know finding the birds understanding where they're feeding why they're moving the way they are because the weather patterns or the water's so low everywhere else that challenge i think is is what keeps a lot of us going in the duck absolutely you know that's what it's not called killing it's called hunting man 
and there's some days it's killing <laughs> it, it's done in 30 minutes man you know some of these refuges when you've worked your tail end you've got a system of people holding spots and you know holding boat spots coming in with a new boat or switching out with the same boat and walking back or whatever you got to do i've got some crazy stories sleeping on the boat when i was younger plan on doing it this year again on public card i'll be probably sleeping with the boat staying warm with the, the heater buddies and and uh all that man those are memories that's where you reminisce the night before with a guy you haven't seen all year like hey you remember three years ago when we did that oh man we were crazy but it paid off you remember all the birds we cleaned and man and and it, it's just man that's that's the love of duck hunting there's there's a whole list i, I could spend three hours talking about you know so yes sir another thing i've noticed has kind of come up a lot lately i see these cut downs are starting to make a comeback so i think one question is yeah, rolling around right now is um do you think when a beginner is about to pick up a duck call and maybe not a beginner duck hunter but somebody that wants to start learning to call do you have a preference on the type of cut of call to pick up or do you think a cut down is the one that it's okay to go to right off the bat i think first of all it's got to be tuned correctly uh for the average hunter that's the thing is that these calls that you get from rmt echo um 737 um these big name companies that you're buying the polycarbonate or the custom call that's more expensive they're tuning that call for the average caller okay so it's tuned by somebody that works at that shop that knows what they're doing they can call and they're tuning it for the average person so you need to get a tune call that's well tuned cork's been changed out correctly um, so that's number one. All right, don't mess with that tuning until you get better, making it stiffer or lighter. Just work with it how it comes in the box. Chances are they've done a good job. I know they have most of these calls I pick up. They're too well tuned. And then I made it, I might need it stiff most of the time. I make it a little bit taller, which stiffer means the three's taller because I don't want to make a squawk. So, and I just want to build my lungs up too. So, first of all, get that call out of the box that is from a company that has credibility and uh, people like the calls and um, you know, it doesn't matter if it's cut down or J frame, just go with something. You know what I mean? I honestly believe start with a single read. If you're doing a J frame, don't do a double read until later. Some people say, a lot of people say do a double read, then a single read, because here's the thing. If you can blow a single read, you can blow a double. read. I promise you. And if you blow a double read, you may not be able to blow a single read for a little while because you might've made some bad habits in the double read that sounded like a duck. And then when you put that same type of air into a single read that you got away with the double read, you're like, man, that sounds horrible. It's probably because you've started some bad habits you got away with on a double read. So remember, start with single read. And then if you want to switch around and change it up a little bit, because you can get some different uh, sounds out of a double read. Double, there's nothing wrong with the double read or even a triple read. But start that single read, learning how to call and when it comes to a J frame. And then you might mess around with the double read just for fun um, and see what you like more. Cut down, there's nothing wrong with starting to cut down. Uh, it's going to take more air generally, but get the proper uh, instructions, get the proper feedback, and and uh, take it slow, man. Rome wasn't built in a day. This, this is going to take time. And some people are better than others just naturally, just like it comes to shooting. I mean, I, I pro I'm an average shooter, man. There's some days I'm better than others, but there's some days I can't hit a broadside of a barn. Um, you know, so it, it, there is some natural ability with it, but anybody can learn how to do the basic calling, no doubt. And with the J frame and the cut down, you know, I know you have probably quite an extensive call collection, at least from what I've seen on your TikTok. You've got oh, 
I've got about six calls. <laughs> I'm all away, man. I can have a problem with that. I, I find somebody that is new into calling, and I just I'll send you a call. <laughs> there you go. You want to see him do well. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. But um, do you have a day where you might pick up and, you know, maybe it's a cold front coming in and you got some new birds coming. Do you have a day where you might pick up a J frame over a cut down or you've got a specific only go to for certain conditions? Yeah, I've only been blowing a cut down for two years. I started doing a cut down for fun and I blow a cut down a lot more like a J frame. No doubt my calling style. I'm not as I'm starting to try to learn from Jim's uh, Jim Ronquist is one of the best cut down. He's just a great caller. I'm, I learned. I, I met him one time at a contest, man. He's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. He gave me a few tips early. He didn't know me from Adam. Just like Wayne and Trey are. They they help anybody. But he's one of the best cut down callers I've ever heard. So I try to, anything he's on YouTube, I'm taking notes, writing it down, kind of like recording myself and trying to learn how to do more of a cut, more of a Arkansas cut down style. But I blow it more like a J frame. Um, but it, it works. I, I really think the beauty of the cut down is when you get better on a cut down, it is loud and and from a distance, man, it sounds like a dang good mallard hen. I'm not saying a J frame doesn't, but from more of a distance, especially when you've got some echo, man, that cut down got some good sound to it. A little bit of a change up compared to the J frame. You can't go wrong with J frame though, man. Uh, especially in close close hen calling, soft calling, man. J frame. It, once you learn how to do the finesse stuff it's like riding a bike and pick it up even not a well-tuned call that hadn't been tuned in a while you can get soft on it and make it work um so um the thing is i will tell people i know that's not the question and i want to forget is i've had people ask me all right if you had one j frame to choose from what would it be and i would i always tell people i've learned this from someone i can't remember who it was because I, I can't i didn't make it up so i won't give who that would credit but i can't think of who who it was but remember, you can always make a loud call softer or quieter, but you can never make a, a soft, very little board out call loud. It'll blow over. So that's called call control. If you can take an open water or like a Chief 730s Chief, that's like a aggressive J-frame call. If you can learn how to do the, the, the heavier, louder stuff and make it soft, it's all you need on that lanyard. And you can throw a backup in on it or put it in your back. But if you're blowing a old style R and T, you can't make it loud. It you can definitely get easier finesse on it, but you can't make it loud. It'll 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 you know it it it, it just will lock up on you and it just won't. It's not going to happen. It's not bored out properly. So if you you know don't really want to have much effort on finesse stuff and you want to just you know you're not really wanting to think about it and you're like oh it's just easier for me to grab a, a timber or old style or quieter call that's fine but if you just have one call teach yourself how to blow like an open water or aggressive like daisy cutter type of call because you can do top to bottom on it and that quiet call you can't make it louder or as loud as you want it by any means and kind of in that same line when you're talking about you know how loud a call is or the volume do you think a call that you would have on stage that has kind of that crazy high end volume to it? Do you think that same call is necessary in the field and there are scenarios where you need that volume? Um, there's a lot of hunting. But the cool thing about technology, it comes in hunting, too. Like you see an uh, example of the different spinners that are out now. I just bought this new um, field goose decoy um, rotator that 
is like the M it's they call the MDL G2R. I've got the tab up right now. So I cheated. I just ordered one and, and man, I was like, I wish I had that five years ago. Cause I got a remote on it. We can get some more movement hunting geese this year on the, in the ponds or fields. We're putting on field off the hunter. I'm out of our pit lines next to the pond, putting it around the pond because we've got those big groups and get some movement and, and turn it off real quick. So it doesn't look ridiculous, but we can get that movement that we need. And I wish I had that five years ago. That's technology. And technology is coming out with duck calls too, man. Um, they are making some calls that I could not get it soft on when I first started. I had to really, really baby it to get soft where now it's effortless that I can blow the, the roof off of it easy, but I can also make it sound soft effortless. And that's trial and error. I imagine on that jig, those, those engineers, uh, you know, Dustin Jones at 737, he's on to something, man. That chief, I love that chief. And, you know, John Stevens, a great call a call maker rick dunn's doing stuff with echo I mean, i'm leaving a lot of people out obviously but three guys that i look up to on the internet stuff i see they're they're just making improvements improvement um but you know back to the question you know like you know competition stuff i don't know if some of these calls you really need that that volume on stuff but it's not going to hurt on those windy days i mean it's just an it's it's an ace in your sleeve you're hunting a lake and you know that they've been responsive and it's really picked up. If you know how to get loud on a call, it's not gonna hurt you. You, It's an advantage to you. I know I had a guy three years ago, I had this 737, or excuse me, the RNT daisy cutter and I didn't have a comp call to get louder. And he's like, man, you need to get louder on that call. And he was just giving me positive feedback. So the next year I looked at that chief and it was a lot louder. And I was like, man, that's what we needed on that really windy day on the lake. And uh, we're just trying to get their attention. Once we get their attention, we can get a we can get soft and finish them with decoy spread with movement, motorized, whatever it may be. And and uh, we just need to get a little. You can always get louder, get their attention. Now hitting the hell call, going. <laughs> there's guys old recording videos I've listened to in the past that say that worked for them. Hey, I ain't gonna judge them. Whatever works for you, that's that. If it works for you, more power to you. I don't do it, but I'll I'll do more of a and i'll hit it oh man it'll ring your ears it, it's got a bold top into it and from a distance it sounds like a duck for the most part for the most part not not like a true duck but it all i'm using is for attention gear and the louder the call the better and whatever you it's just a better it's a, a more advantage for you louder that you have i know one of the things and you know kind of moving in from a beginning caller to kind of you know a little bit more experienced one yep. of the things i've always kind of found that isn't necessarily standardized do you think there's a time frame about how long you should be changing your reads and modifying your reads you think it's one season two seasons and do you think that's something that's overlooked by a lot of duck hunters is just keeping the maintenance on the call up oh that's a great question yeah um so first of all you can go by sound um, I've got a video a little bit that I didn't do the greatest job looking back. That's part of it, making videos You're like, yeah, I wish I had this or took this out. Um, but you can tell by sound. First of all, you need to change your cork probably once a week if you're hunting every day. It gets a, a good, clean cork that's more what we call live in layman's terms um, is going to give you about crisp sound that you want. Um, if your call's walking up or just doesn't sound like it did, we call it a dead cork. Toss that cork out, get you the 
the same height cord. That's the thing. There's different heights on cord you can miss with. That's the beauty of duck calling is that you can trim up your own cork if you can get it from somebody and just you know change it up a little bit figure out what works for your voice and how you call and but just stick with what that height same cork material and height and uh wet it and put it back in and that's the thing you're going to be changing out the most once you figure out what sound you're after and you want to keep that consistent sound and then you're looking at the read and dip it depends how much you're calling man like if you're only hunting six times a, a year um you probably are only going to, you know, need it every three or four years. You know, if you're hunting every day on your days off from work or you're a guide, you're probably changing a readout one or twice, you know, once a week or once every two weeks, depending on how much, how hard you're hitting it. Uh, after about six practices with 737 Chief, I'm changing the readout because, I mean, I, if I'm willing on it, just practicing in the, in the, you know, the living room or whatever, I'm outside just getting some practice in for the season. I'm changing that out because that reed is um, starting to, you know, change colors and lose its um, the, the tension and tension in that reed that you want in the mylar. So, um, yeah, you just got to go by feel and, and sound, I should say. I say I call it feel, but it's technically sound. And do you have any kind of tips for somebody that's for the first time is starting to cut down on their reeds themselves and trying to figure out how to tune their call. Because I know one of the biggest mistakes I always made in the beginning trying to tune was I would, I would try to go for a certain sound. And I'd cut way too much off a reed. Do you have any kind of like simple tips or tricks that'll help somebody in the right direction, get to tune in the right way? Yeah, absolutely. Always remember, you kind of much pretty much said this already. Always remember that you can, um, whatever you take off, you can't put back on. So it is a patience thing. Start off with the the, the the read they send you, you know, call Dustin, call John Stevens at Dustin R737, call, uh, you know, John Stevens, talk, or call R&T, call, talk to somebody and say, hey, I need 50 reads. Or you have a bunch of reads, what I'm trying to say, and try to get a discount if you can, whatever you can it's in bulk. They could give you a discount or call, you know, Echo or, um, you know, Maker calls a company that I see coming up, call them. You know, any of these call companies, I support all of them, man. They're all people that are trying to help the industry. Call them whatever call you're using and say, hey, can I get 50 or 100 reads? And just keep them, put them away, you know. Um, and then once you've got that, you might blow through them all starting out. You may not. Just kind of figure out what, you know, how good you are starting out at trimming reads. But remember, just be patient. Cut a little off at a time. Um, you can still use that same piece of cork. Just be careful putting that cork back in that um, cork slot because you can break that cork slot off pretty darn easy when you're starting. That's $150 call or whatever it may be, and you're, they're not going to reimburse you. I promise you. <laughs> I've done it before at Wayne's shop. My first good comp call, I said, oh, cork dab broke off. He said, oh, my goodness. So, um, you know, I've done that one time. Haven't done it again. It, it's a bad feeling when you find a good call, especially comp, comp call, and you're like, just cut broke that cork tab off trying to put that cork back in so uh, don't do that so be very careful with that call and when you put that read in put it with the cork obviously put it in without trying to bend it too much and uh, just light trim it off or you could take a um oh that's what i'm looking for basically something that is a straight edge on it a, a cutting board it's as simple as it is cutting board and just cut it off a little bit at a time Figure out what's going to work for you. Something you're not going to blow over or squawk. And it's, it's another thing is that you get the sound out that's not too stiff. Because you can make a call too stiff where you're like, man, I, I've got to blow the whole set of my lungs out to get what I need. And then 
it's locking up because it's just too stiff. So you got to have that happy medium, obviously, but just a little bit at a time. Dog ears is all preference. If you want to take a, a, a forty, a good forty-five off, or a little bit less on the ears, just that's trial and error. You're going to look at a little bit different sound. That's just the beauty of duck calling. That's the fun of it. The trial and error of just messing around at the house when the wife's not home, the kids aren't on. I don't have kids yet, but most of us, I, most guys I talk to, they have kids. You get a second yourself, get that call out, get the reeds corks out, and have a good time in the off season and, and trial and error of messing around with it. So this is one I think probably when we when we met when we first started talking on TikTok, I think it was when I made the duck call video with the polycarbonate echo call. But you know, and I've got a an extensive duck call collection, man. I don't just blow a polycarbonate. I do keep one on my lanyard because, you know, a lot of times when I'm hunting public land, I've I've dropped calls off the lanyard. I've had them freeze up on me. So I try to keep a couple of extras on there as well. But sure. do you think for somebody that's just starting out, would you say it's a better investment to grab that cheap call? Or would you say it's a better investment to get a call that you know that that caller can grow with, you know, throughout their duck calling career? Man, it's all about what you got in the bank. Duck, duck, I'll be real with you. Duck hunting is not a cheap sport. Um, you know, you've got to put when you start now, especially being a student, you got to put every penny away. And then once you get a career going, it makes it easier. You got more money put away. Um, it's just whatever you've got to put away. If you've got the money for a custom call, get a custom call, man. And remember, if it's wood or, or acrylic, it can break. So you got to be careful with it. Put it somewhere it's not going to fall too far and break. You've wasted 150 bucks. But if you don't have the money, get a polycarbonate call. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, it's not going to be as loud as an acrylic or, or a custom wood call, chances are. You can get somewhat loud on it, but if you got the money, buy buy a custom call and 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 you know, you know, mess around with tuning it and getting better at the collar and all that good stuff. It just depends where you are in life, man. I've been where I was a student putting peanut butter and jelly sandwiches away and then I'm not rich by any means, but I'm doing a lot better now as a nurse and be able to save money in the summer for the fall so I can splurge and have enough money for gas and go hunt every day. So it just depends where you are in your life, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And I just uh I share the same opinion there, man. Like I said, I've got a I've got a pretty big call collection and I've got my $170, $200 calls as well. Um, but then I've got the other stuff that I hunt with and you know, it, it's just for me, one perspective I have on it is in South Carolina, we're a little bit unique. I don't know if it's the same in Oklahoma, but we got a lot of these young guys coming up and, you know, they're already pulling up $50,000 duck boats and they're sick it out, which is sick. It makes great gear and we all like to make fun of them, but you know, they got full Sitka and then they've got a, a $200 call and, uh, and they, and they don't know how to blow it. Um, and then I've also been in that same situation where there's a guy that, he refuses to get into calling or doesn't want to get a call because he can't afford the big call and he yeah. doesn't want to get have people pick fun at him because he's got the cheaper call. Yeah, I I completely understand that. I've I've I'm be honest with you, I've got a Sika jack Sika jacket, two or three, and um, you know, I, I've got I've got I don't I'm not gonna buy I bought my dad the waiters because you know, my dad I wouldn't be on this earth with what my dad's done for me throughout the years. I would have probably been in a ditch and he helped me in some really low times and low, you know, some trying to be a coach, work my way up with no money. And, and he was always there for me, man. And so finally making a little bit more money and changing something that was a better fit for me as a nurse, 
I splurred as much as I can because I want to take care of my dad. I want to spoil him. And I bought him a pair of sick waders this year. And before that, I bought some other stuff for him because he he's my rock, man. And and I'm be, I hunt with my best friend. And I I love him. I love him every day. I, I value every hunt I have with my dad. Um, but I with what I was why I bring all that up is that I know if I buy I, I save up some overtime and I buy myself some sick waders, I'm gonna put a hole in it the next day. So that was a waste of money. <laughs> so I'm gonna put six holes in it. So that thousand dollars that was a waste. So I'm gonna stick with my hundred dollar Rogers. And if I get a hole, patch it the best I can. If I can't patch it after six in a row, then I'm just gonna buy me another hundred dollar waders because I'm rough on waders. So yeah. I'm gonna have two or three hundred dollars put away and 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 put more. You can always add layers underneath those waders, man. I tell you <laughs> what, when I was in my twenties, um, shoot. Uh, I wish we had these uninsulated waders because I putting those neoprenes on good night. You talk about sweating, walking in on public land. You're like, where was these uninsulated 10 years ago? So walking in two miles, that refuge that you're beating out uh, Tom, Dick and Harry trying to get to, and you've carried in six dozen decoys, made two trips and, and then you find out uninsulated comes out. You're like, man, where were these 10 years ago? You know, it would have been a lot nicer, you know, being waterproof and not sweating so bad. So it's, that's technology again there for you. But yeah, you know, you don't need all this top of the line. You can wear the cheapest Drake jacket and put more clothes underneath it. I like the Sitka jackets cause they're darn comfortable. But if you don't, feel like you can splurge on a Sitka jacket or get it on a discount 30%. A lot of times they have these take advantage of it. You see a 30% dump on it. If you got money put away or saved away. But if you don't, if you don't feel like splurging or you know, you're rough on your gear, you're going to put a hole in it that you're hunting public, get you a, a, two light jackets and layer them up and put a long sleeve underneath and you can make it work, man, man, it's duck hunting. It's not, it's not a dang freaking, a model you're not going down a model lane showing everybody what you got it's, it's duck hunt brother it's 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 grind it's a grind man and just staying with some sort of camo that's going to keep you concealed so you can kill your limits you know or have a good time or do what you can yeah absolutely and like i said we the internet myself even sometimes i got buddies that are just completely sick cut out and they're all about it and i understand it those guys make great gear and trust me we was up there doing that, those dog tests in the tropical storm this weekend and it was it was 60 degrees and a tropical storm comes through and it's raining and i was there was a couple times i thought to myself like man i wish i had those sick rain suits right about now because <laughs> i didn't want to be that wet and cold but uh, yeah it's just uh it's another part of it like you said if, if it's in the bank you can do it i'm not going to knock anybody for what they wear i like to to bust balls sometimes it's fun but that's that no but so Moving into kind of the duck hunting, man, being in Oklahoma. And one thing I've, I've told a lot of people lately that I've got to talk to, you know, cause I've experienced Oklahoma when that freeze line's right. Um, it, it's, it's a sight to see when the bird, when the conditions are right to be in Oklahoma. Oh, absolutely. Would you, would you say the duck hunting in Oklahoma either today still is, or at one point was overlooked exactly how good it could be? Well, you know, hunted for, fairly consistently for the last 11, 12 years, getting back into it when I got out of high school. And I've heard stories from guys that know 30, 40 times more than I do about the old stories of 
Oolagall Lake, man. Old green tree before it went to crap. You know what I'm talking about, probably green tree. You mentioned you were hunting Oolagall possibly this season or next. And it's not what it was. It's still decent at times. I don't hunt Oolagall as much as I probably did when I first started. Um, but northeast Oklahoma, it sounds like 20 to 25 years ago, was like kind of a hidden gem. I mean, people were – where I'm from, Glenmore Lake was – really good at one point i heard like it was limited out 30 minutes before it became where it was a draw like it was open to anybody and there wasn't as many houses that's another thing is some of these lakes that people don't mention is there's real estate development around these and they're saying you can't hunt over here man that's too close to a house you know that's something i don't think's talked much about like you know that part south end of that lake real estate in the last three to five years develops you can't hunt it like you did People are complaining that it's just part of life, right? It's part of the industry and part of the whole thing. But, but you know, man, it, it's not what it used to be in Northeast Oklahoma. I've seen it change. Uh, Sequoia Refuge, that's southeast of Tulsa, uh, eight years ago, I, a buddy of mine, too, would go out. And we, we got to the point where we weren't even scouting. We knew that Saturday morning we were limited out. <laughs> we had lived out the last two weeks, and we just need somebody to hold that spot. Well, that, you know, that's not the case sometimes out there just because of vegetation and water and all that good stuff. Uh, you, you need to get duck groceries. That's a huge, huge part of it. Water is huge, man. Um, but in the middle, central, and western Oklahoma, I get some invites out at central hunting fields. Boy, it's a different ball game out there, man. You talk about killing some birds, and you—it's hard work, though. Field hunting's a lot hard work to me most of the time than hunting the lakes and stuff. Even though boat work, it can be rough. Walking in, going so far with a boat, but field hunting—you got to sometimes have the, the spread, and you've got to have the manpower to, to make it happen to get the birds full to come in. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't hunted really west. But I've heard West can be better than Central, depending on the time of year. But man, there it is something else out there, man. And it, I think it just boomed the last 10, 12 years. When I was in my early 20s, I heard a little bit about it. And then when I was 25 or 26, everybody was leaving Northeastern or Northwestern, or excuse me, Southeastern Oklahoma and going and going West. And uh, it went on a few hunts. I'm like, this is the real McCoy. But I stay local i've got family here and i got a job and if i get an invite two or three times a year i'm gonna go if i can and i'm gonna have a good time but yeah the the, the geese out there something else too man we kill a lot of giant geese where i'm at in tulsa area and even though i love to call ducks i'd rather shoot a goose it's kind of a weird thing seeing a big old goose land right in front of your uh floater spread man big old flop on the water but yeah i'd really call a duck any day i don't mind killing some ducks no, no doubt but uh yeah geese are fun to kill but those smaller those lessers man i uh, you you go two straight days out there you're gonna hear them in your sleep because they're so loud when you're out, out the fields man but yeah it, it it's it's not a hidden gem anymore especially the central part of oklahoma it is not uh in western i mean it's it's whoever can get permission or a lease and and it's uh sometimes getting foolish out there with, with the competition so for guide services i should say right yeah and i've just again 
I've only experienced it a couple times when the freeze line's right and we're in Kansas and it's starting to lock up. So we try to make our way down to, to Oklahoma and then it just, it's on once we get there. So I just, uh, you know, as far as states go and I've hunted from South Carolina where I'm at all the way across as far West as Utah and man, Oklahoma's probably my number one, if I'm going to be honest with you, it's just, uh, these big trips that I take, we, we had, we end up hanging up in Kansas or Nebraska mostly, uh, just because, again, I think the conditions have to be right, and I don't want to go hunt stale birds in Oklahoma and put the residents there, you know, kind of in a pinch, mm-hmm. you know, hunting the same birds, and then I come in and intrude. I try to only make it there when I think the migration is going to be on. Uh, but, yeah, Oklahoma has been one of my favorites. And I didn't mention this to you, and I don't know if it's going to make you think less of me, but I am an Oklahoma State guy. Um, <laughs> I saw the post the email, so I didn't uh, – yeah. yeah. I, I love state. I love OU, and I'm a TU grad, so I'm a TU guy too. I went when I went back to school for my second profession. I went to TU. I had a, a moment. I had a great scholarship, and I took advantage of it, and got a great education at TU. So I believe TU blue, but I'm an OU and Ocean fan, no doubt. I support all three, and uh, but I'm a diehard Dallas Cowboy fan. <laughs> I, that's oh man, that's that's, my, that's the only thing. I, my grandpa. I was a pastor and carpenter. He got me into that, and that's my dad and I's thing from him. So that's a family thing. I won't hold it against you, man. No, I'm just kidding. Dallas isn't too bad. I hope you guys actually were able to get it done this year. I've been me too, man. You've been you've been close enough so many years now, and it's always one or two games short. And I hope this year is the year. But um, so kind of going back to duck hunting, I know you kind of stay where you're at now at least within state you kind of stay local um being on the public and private that you and your dad got but do you ever get to make trips out to arkansas at all or do you go to any other states i've got some spots i've learned from you know friends throughout the years in southeast kansas that i'll go up to scout and i really hunted that much the last few years just with career change and all that in the last three or four years you know um, but maybe not this year, but you know, next year I'll go up there and scout some of that public stuff. Um, I'll, you know, man, when it's right, the Osho can be great in Southeast, um, Independence, Elk City, some, just some things to throw out there. They can be great, man, for public duck hunting for Kansas. Um, when, you know, if you're up there, you're going to go out there and beat the crowd and go during the week and, um, you know, pay your dues and wait two or three days and have a system with a few buddies or just do it on your own, whatever you want to do. That's the thing, man. It's a grind brother. I mean, you know, that. so, I mean, it, it can be fun in Kansas, but yeah, Kansas is my only place I've really been to. I've never hunted in any other state besides Kansas and Oklahoma. I just kind of been a penny pincher when it comes to going out and adventuring out, but I would love to, man. I, I think the point of time, you know, where I am in my life now, I'd love to team up with somebody and go to Iowa or, or Nebraska or not some geese, of course, ducks, but more geese up in Nebraska, I would say at times, you know, get, get some good, make some good memories up there. And, and even in Arkansas, if I had the empire, had the time to go out and scout. Yeah, I've. I've a Arkansas. I haven't been back to Arkansas since I think 2018, but from the time I was 14 years old until 2018, that's where I was every year. That was our big go-to and stuff just got a little bit crazy. And, you know, I'm not, I I like the competition. Like we said before that challenge, 
But when it gets crazy, when you got people getting run over with boats because the boat races are so bad and stuff, I just try to stay away from it. You know, I've a, I know, I know you're you're married, but I've got a few kids myself, and I don't want to take chances like that anymore, where I can't support them, go out there, get messed up, and then you know, even Real Foot Lake, Tennessee, we've been up to Real Foot and had a couple good hunts up there, and then you know, people up there shooting each other over duck blinds. It's a, uh, it can get a little crazy in this world, man. Yeah, that's the thing. We've got to plant good seeds in the generations to come. Some of these, some of our current generations or the generations ahead of us, we can't really maybe change that. But we can make, we can put a good seed, uh, plant a proper seed in the generations to come. That's why I love teaching duck calling because you get to know that upcoming generation. A lot of times, it's younger guys that reach out to me, you know, and, and I can mentor them and put the right seeds, how to have proper etiquette, duck, duck hunting etiquette, and do the right thing and say, well, hey, man, you're bragging about something that I think you need to think about. You know what I mean? And you just put that seed in and say, oh, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, TJ. I never really thought about it. So you, that's the cool thing is that you get teaching people how to call or whatever it may be, different aspects of duck hunting, you're planting seeds to do the right thing that we, we, we pray about will happen in the future. Yeah, that's uh again, that's one of the goals that I, I've kind of got with this. And I think we're on the right path, man. I think we're doing great with having people like you on here on, being able to tell your story and then also help plant that seed. So again, I just want to say I appreciate you being on. And one other thing I do like to do before we close it down, brother, is I like to ask every guest to kind of end it with a story. So when you think back to duck hunting and for you we'll open it up to maybe it's a moment on stage but um most guests we, we talk about duck and if you can think back to one story that if if you were able to you would relive in the duck hole or on stage over and over again what would that story be oh that's a tough one man uh think about it here there's a lot of there's a lot of good ones um man um i i would say this is redneck now I would say a good story is an old pond that we had permission to with some Amish guys, uh, second or third year in, and talk about belly crawling for yards, 100, 200 yards up to a pond just to swat them on the <laughs> I know that people are going to be like, that's silly, that's stupid. But man, we were getting it back into it. And, and my dad was, I just need to get you, I, want, I don't want you to get skunked today, you know, or whatever. I didn't want to get skunked. Cooper's idea was. I said, I'm taking these waders off and I'm going to billy crawl. And I think I billy crawled 100 yards, the unloaded gun, of course, to be safe. And once I got close enough, we he was behind me to back me up, you know, and and uh, we threw some shells in and, and knocked down some birds. Now, do have we done that in years? No. But, you know, young kids that do that, I, I don't discourage it if that's if they if they are one shy from a limit and that's their their permission land or if it's their land um it's not really duck hunting but man just to put all that effort into it and be soaked with sweat just swat them on the water and send the dog out you know it was it was a good time you know and, and uh, being with some Amish guys and they're like man that's how I've always hunted uh, that is duck hunting to me you know man there was an Amish <laughs> guy that we met that I haven't seen in years and Brother, I've never seen him miss. I mean, this this guy, that's how he hunted. It's jumping ponds. Awesome. Yeah, awesome guy. A little older than me. But, um, man, um, never saw him miss and got to do that with him. I think he was part of that hunt on that day. And 
that's one of one of my you know favorite times when I was getting into it with my dad. We had some permission and crawling to swat some birds on a pond, you know. So to pond hawk, I think the old saying is, I think it's been a while, but that that was one of my memories that's pretty fun i would have to say it's it i have to you know i've got other epic ones but that's a funny one that i always hold on to i look forward to sharing with my kids yeah it's uh again man sometimes it's you know those crazy hunts that and everybody that i've talked to so far which is interesting um you have those crazy hunts where everybody you just pile the birds up quick and it's a crazy limit and it's snowing and you have all that right but everybody that shared a story so far it's been something like that it's been the the belly crawling for 100 yards you know with their dad or their best friend or their son even you know to get on birds like that it's it again that's why we love duck hunting it's the full experience it's not not the numbers i mean you were rewarded with a couple dead birds on the water but um, yeah. you know how you got there is how the memory sticks so i appreciate you sharing that man that's, that's what it's about man it's about helping others to to make more memories and get them more interested in duck hunting uh you know most of us are competitive so we want to have more success and they want to get better at calling or shooting or dog training or or blind building or figuring out how to build a wetland whatever it may be may be because they it means success keeps us going that's a lot of us are old athletes that do this not all of us but i think a good amount of us are and we want to be successful and it keeps us going because we're competitive but at the end of the day it's about the memories we have with our loved ones and friends that we can reminisce the next few years about and look back and and keep building upon and, and look and stories to tell man and that's duck hunting that's, there's so many aspects of it i love absolutely well again tj man i appreciate you being on i've enjoyed this episode sorry about the mix-up yesterday with the dog training but i'm glad we were able to do it hey no problem man i'm i'm i really appreciate what you're doing for our industry and our our sport and uh you know it, it's I'm, I'm i'm here to be a su supporter and i'm just sitting back excited to see the growth that's that's headed that way with you and um your guys you know so i'm excited for you guys Yes, sir. We appreciate it. And if we make it down there, I'll be sure to shoot you a message and you're more than welcome to tag up with us on public or if we can even just sit down and, you know, grab some dinner or something afterwards. I'd love to. And then also, uh, you know, even if we don't get to see each other, if we make it out there, uh, I'd love to check back in with you later this season just to see how everything's been going for you. Absolutely. John, thank you so much, man. Yes, sir. Thank you.